what up world it's your past first point guard and blazer beat writer mike richmond you are listening to another episode of locked on blazers part of the locked on podcast network available wherever you get podcasts amazing selection reliably low prices all the parts your car will ever need visit rockauto.com and make sure you tell them locked on sent you Today's episode is the latest edition of Mailbag Monday, our weekly mailbag episode answering listener-submitted questions all episode long. We do this each week. I record it on Mondays and post it on Tuesdays. If you want to get involved, there are two ways to do it. You can tweet at me, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Just send me a tweet whenever you're thinking of it. It helps if you indicate in some way that it is for mailbag. Or watch my Twitter account on Mondays when I will send out a tweet soliciting your questions you respond to that tweet i'll get you in the show if you are not a twitter user or someone who does not tweet you can email me locked on at gmail.com is the address locked on at gmail.com those are the two ways to get involved we do it every week and we'd love to have you participate if you are so willing neither snow nor rain nor heat nor gloom of night stays mailbag from your ears so let's get into it The first question comes from Jeff V, who asks, Would the Blazers dare not use their taxpayer mid-level exception and choose another minimum guy to save money? Seems consistent with their their decision-making over the last couple years, and it would be telling of how delusional or disrespectful management is willing to be towards Dame. Like you said, adding a Paul Millsap or even a LaMarcus Aldridge won't make them a championship contender, but definitely makes them better. Not No collective pronouns, Jeffrey. My goodness. If they are trying to sell the Blazers roster as is, is a championship roster, then how do they justify not using that player acquisition tool? If they don't use it, they must be confident, arrogant, or stupid, or there just isn't anyone good enough. You are Jeff V, you are not the only person who shares this concern. Travis Hyde at Travis Hyde on Twitter says, Jason Quick mentioned that he doesn't think the Blazers will use their taxpayer mid-level exception. Do you think they're trying to duck the tax this year? And if so, are Neil slash Jody Allen deliberately trying to get Dame to demand out at this point? Brody Vogue at Brody Vogue on Twitter asks a similar line of questioning. What do you think the odds are the Blazers don't use the taxpayer mid-level exception at all? So let's let's tease this one out a little bit because I, I think there's there's some real uh, reasons to suspect suspect the Blazers might not do this. The taxpayer mid-level exception is the last vehicle the Blazers have for offering someone a contract larger than the uh, minimum contract. They could use the biannual exception, but you wouldn't use that first. You'd use the taxpayer mid-level exception. If they haven't done that, they're not going to use the BAE. We don't even need to worry about that at this stage. So what the taxpayer mid-level exception is, is for teams that are above the tax line, which the Blazers currently are, it's a $5.9 million contract that would be the first year would be 5.9 million and it can be up to a four-year contract so the blazers have that tool to use thus far uh brody in in the question brody asked also wondered if like there hadn't been clear reporting on what um if everyone signed the minimum so far and jason quick of the athletic the aforementioned jason quick earlier in this uh episode already uh has reported that yeah the blazers have um that their minimum deals for tony snell and and cody zeller and uh and Ben McLemore, and, and if Quick has the goods, I trust, and the Blazers have their full mid-level to use. So they, they've got this contract sitting out there, but the question is, like, are they 
Would they not use it? And what does it mean if they don't use it? I think it's a very realistic chance. And, and to be totally upfront, I had not seen that Jason Quick mentioned this. Um, I, I feel like I read everything he writes. So if he, wrote, if he wrote this somewhere, I missed it somehow. And if he said this in another place, I, I didn't hear it. But yeah, I think... Um, I think it's very real that the Blazers don't, and I think there's some obvious reasons why. One, they're just they've they're deep enough into free agency that there might not be that many guys that um, command something larger than the mid-level exception, right? Like, you, or the minimum than a minimum exception, the minimum deal. Like, you might just be signing uh, a minimum guy to fill out the rest of the roster. The Blazers have uh, at least one, and potentially two. And in the in a previous episode, the one I posted on Monday, I, I mentioned that the Blazers had already signed uh, second-round draft pick Greg Brown. They have not officially announced the signing of Greg Brown, so technically. They only have 12 players under contract, so they could conceivably add two more, and Brown could be uh, could be a two-way guy, although I think that's un- unlikely. So if we assume Brown's there, that's 13, uh, and the Blazers are only likely to carry 14 players into the, into the regular season, not the full max of 15. <laughs> We'll talk about that at some other point. Then uh, it's it whether you're it's whether like who's left is worth giving more than the minimum to. And quite frankly, the Blazers have kind of a narrow need. Like they need a four-five type, almost certainly. Um, there's a chance they don't do that because they certainly don't always agree with what I see. But from my vantage point, they need a four-five type. And beyond the obvious name Paul Millsap, I don't know that there's someone out there who really commands you know more than what would be the veteran minimum, uh, particularly for um you know older older vets who would be making upwards of two million dollars a year like you don't you wouldn't need to break them off part of the taxpayer mid-level exception so i think it's very real that the blazers might not use their um that that vehicle i I think that's a real possibility it wouldn't necessarily be to duck the tax because the blazers would have to not use that taxpayer mle and then trade somebody like Derek jones that seems unlikely salary dump Derek jones that seems unlikely uh if they get to that point, salary dumping, you're talking about um, maybe sort of a larger overhaul. If you're going to go into the season with Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, and and uh, and Nurk, and uh, the newly signed Norman Powell under contract, you're going to be a tax team. It's just how deep into the tax do you want to go? And I think that's that's the question with the with the taxpayer middle level exception. How far in the tax do they want to go? And do they want to offer someone a contract that you know even for one year that isn't maybe uh, quote unquote worth it, isn't deserving of that type of contract? Maybe it just makes more sense for them if it's a minimum quality player to sign them to a minimum contract. So yes, I think it is real Brody. I think it is real Travis. I think it is real Jeff V that the Blazers might not use the TPMLE. That might not happen. That That's a real concern. If they don't do that, to me, it is a signal that you cannot say you are all in. You cannot claim to be all in if you don't do it. If you if you do not use all the vehicles, all of the ways to improve the roster, even, you know, even if, if guys passed up that money and you just, you're on your list, um, you just don't have, you know, there's no mid-level guy left. If you, if you are unable to to if either if you are unable or unwilling to use all of your all of the financial vehicles to improve the roster you cannot say that you tried everything to win it is just bs so if 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 the blazers don't which i think there's a chance that they don't use all of the sort of vehicles offered to them to make this roster as good as possible and they try to push forward with Damian Lord at all on the roster like the, pretty much run it back it is impossible. It is impossible for them to claim that they did. They did everything they could. Some of it is out of their control for sure, but uh, it is what it is. If you only sign minimum dudes, you only signed minimum dudes, and then and and you you know what the the score of the game is. It means you 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 either were unwilling or unable to take a big old swing, and and you can you know you 
choose your own adventure on what you think, uh, whether you think it's unwilling or unable. Next question comes from Dr. J, who asks, I've been going back and forth on the Dame demands, that's in quotes. What I see from him directly is that, in essence, he wants to know that the organization is committed to winning and is doing everything it can to get there, in in parentheses, being aggressive. I remember his statement, in essence, he is not sure everyone is is as committed to winning. Now we have interpreted this as we need to trade CJ. See, that's a collective pronoun. We need to trade CJ. Excuse me, Dr. J continues. However, is it possible that Dame is actually happy with running it back with the same starting five, given that they almost always won those minutes, and is more annoyed that we have zero viable bench options that can win the Dameless minutes? And that he, his real complaint is against Jody and Neil, that they don't spend the money to fill out the bench, leaving roster spots open, not using two ways, etc. The main thing that Dame wants to see is trades is possible. But, number one, sign Norm. Number two, use every tool to improve the roster. So basically, uh, and and that's kind of a long question from Dr. J, and I didn't edit it, so that's on me. That's that's, that's a copy and paste issue on me. You, you got to have strong editors in the game, and I didn't edit that one down. Basically, what Dr. J is asking is, like, is it possible that Dame is comfortable with the sort of, like, run it back approach, just, like, absolutely do the best we can to make players, you know, six, seven, eight, nine better because we weren't good enough last year. And uh, I think there could be something to that. I, I, I think Dame's, like, sort of demands might be, like, prove you're into it but I also think Dame was pretty explicit that saying if you run back the same roster with a new coach like it's clearly you aren't good enough Uh, I think it's probably somewhere in between like Dame saying trade CJ like I don't I think that might be too um, far of an interpretation of Dame's demands but like make you know do things to be aggressive maybe maybe Dame meant trade Nurk right like maybe he didn't mean trade CJ maybe it's like maybe he meant let's run it back with the three guards and upgrade the front court because um you know that that the tall gentleman from Bosnia is maybe less reliable than the short dude from Canton Ohio uh relatively short that is so I, while, while I don't think I'm, I'm all the way there on Dame's demands are like, just upgrade the bench. Like I don't, and I don't think that's what Dr. J is saying. I do think that there is, um, there is reason to con- consider that Dame's like, sort of like, we have to be all in to win is, is not specifically you have to trade the dude in the backcourt. It's that you have to go for it. And, and whatever the interpretation is, like whatever, whatever you kind of read on what Dame's demands mean. And, and, and he's not going to be specific because he's already been as honest as possible without providing specifics. Maybe at some point he'll get there but he doesn't need to now whatever you sort of read as dames like wishes i don't think you could interpret anything the blazers have done as being aggressive and being all in they've given norman powell the money that was you know priority number one great check that box nothing else kind of lives up to that all right in the second segment let's come back and talk take more of your question and answer more of your question in the glorious mailbag monday but first let's talk about rockauto.com Save time and money when you're using Rock Auto. That's the pitch. That's what you're going to do. If you're working on your car or you need the parts to just fix your car up a little bit in this in the closing months of summer, there's only one place to do it, and that's rockauto.com, the family business that's been serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. 
And what you're going to do is you're just, if you go to a chain store, you go to the, you go to the car dealership for whatever make and model you got, you're going to spend more money and you don't have to do that because Rock Auto has reliably low prices for every customer. That is the do-it-yourselfers, but it's also professional mechanics. Whoever you are, you're going to find good deals on Rock Auto on everything you need from brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. So go explore their easy to use website today. Find a solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now. See all the parts available for your car or truck. And while you're there, make sure you write locked on in their how did you hear about us box. That way they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. All right. Let's keep it rolling on this glorious mailbag Monday. Next question comes from Matt Arbaugh at Marbaugh on Twitter who asks, do you think the five years for Norman Powell was his call or is it really just Neil Olshay setting up to trade Dame and claim that the Blazers are set at guard with CJ McCollum and Norman Powell for the next few years? Uh, I, I don't interpret re-signing Norm as having as having like a significant impact on on Dame's trade demands. And uh, later this week, early next week, depending on uh, some timing of some interviews I'm trying to work out, uh, I'm going to have a what if the Blazers traded Dame episode. Many of you are curious of what if the Blazers just ripped the damn Band-Aid off and traded their their star player and kind of moved to whatever's next because uh, this place in limbo is either uncomfortable or un- unsatisfying. So we'll we'll talk about sort of Dame and trading and all that in a full episode. We'll do 35 minutes on it, I promise, later this week or or early next week, like Monday at the latest. So look look for that one in your feeds. Come back. It's a daily podcast on the Portland Trailblazers. The only one you're going to find on the web. So make sure you are listening. But to answer your question about Norm's contract, specifically, Matt, uh, I believe what Norman had is what we call in the business a little bit of leverage. He knew that the Blazers either were going to sign him or lose him. And if they lost him, they were going to get worse. So they were, they, it it wasn't like they were going to have this magical cap space or have other options. They were either going to sign Norm or like, you know, (laughs) give some more money to Ben McLemore or whatever it was. So Norm, you know, the, the, uh, shooting guard market was pretty much set at about 18 million. Uh, it's what, it's what, uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. got. It's what Gary Trent Jr. got. It's what Evan Fournier got. He got a little bit more, and and Norm landed right in there. And sort of like the the shooting guard market was set this summer, and Norm was the only one who got that extra that fifth year because he had the leverage. He wanted all of it. No options. No nothing. Give me the money. Give me. I want. I want security that I'm going to get paid for a long time, and I want. I want the money that everyone's getting. I think Norm was not negotiating against like a potential Dame trade. I think Norm was just Norm and Norm's representation knew that the Blazers had either we're going to keep them or we're going to lose them and they use that leverage to their advantage next question comes from Brandon Sprague at Brandon Sprague on Twitter that's the host of Dirt and Sprague Brandon Sprague uh, Monday through Friday 6 9 a.m. on 1080 the fan in Portland or on the Odyssey app you see Sprague now that's a plug baby Sprague asks should the league expand the salary cap for small markets? Okay, I saw this pitched on Twitter by Nate Jones, uh, one of Dame's agents, and I I just don't agree. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be unpopular with Blazer fans. I think everyone in sort of a fan of small markets is going to say, you got to do something because it's unfair. And I agree. Like it is the, the small markets, medium-sized markets, whatever whatever you want to call Portland, they're playing a different game than the glamour markets. Uh Miami, it's a good example, is Miami and Charlotte came into the league the same expansion time. 
uh, same year that they, they came in in, in the late eighties and, and, and Miami has been consistently good and won multiple titles and Charlotte is Charlotte. They're the Hornets. <laughs> they lost a team. Had to get the Bobcats, you know, like it's the very different with all due respect to uh, the Mid-South and Central North Carolina. Charlotte ain't Miami. That's not South Beach. Mecklenburg County is not South Beach. You are just even if it's the same size market, which, uh, you know, roughly population wise it is. It's just a different thing. There's no salary tax or there's no uh, income tax in Florida. And it's and it's freaking South Beach. It's just a different lifestyle. So while I do like freely admit that uh, the teams in Los Angeles and uh, to some extent the Golden State Warriors, although this was not always the case, and the teams in New York and and the Miami Heat specifically um, are, are just playing a different game. There's like 25 teams that are not in the same game. And then there's like five teams that are, that are chasing, you know, can, can, lure big time free agents consistently. But I don't think expanding the salary cap for small markets makes, uh, I don't think it would totally fix it. And, and, and I'm, I'm not against the solution because I'm like a slippery slope guy. Like I'm, that's, I'm not saying this like this opens up a can of worms and it gets too tricky. I'm just saying, I don't think this is the solution. I don't think the Blazers with, um, I don't think the Blazers with more money necessarily helps. If you look at what the Warriors did this summer, Otto Porter Jr. and Nemanja Belica, uh went there for the minimum. I'm not sure those dudes are available for the minimum in other markets. And that, that isn't fixed by giving the Blazers more money to work with unless you're wildly overpaying them. And does that, ex- and does that, uh, appeal to small market owners like that's not going to that might not incentivize teams that are not very good to spend more money i don't think it's the solution i think it's something like capping like giving a small market designated contract where something like you can pay dame uh this designated veteran max extension for and it's you know 40 million dollars a year but it only counts like 22 million against the cap it's something like that um it's some other cap dynamics, but I don't think expanding the salary cap specifically for mid and small market teams solves the problem. Um, you're you're still going to get guys going to the glamour markets for less money because it's more appealing. Um, giving Memphis and uh, San Antonio more cash does not make those places more appealing. At, at a certain point, it does. But when you're talking about dudes at the end of their contract, when you're talking about like the Blake sort of Blake Griffin tiers of the world, or even Carmelo Anthony to some extent, like when you're talking about those types of guys, uh, they're gonna go to the glamour markets, and giving 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 Milwaukee more money doesn't exactly do it. Um, The Bucks proved you can win in a small market this year. All you got to do is draft a generational talent, have them commit forever, go all in on your assets, have the other second round pick that you traded for turn to a max guy and get get things right around the margins while having a great deal of injury luck. Yep, simple enough. Blazers should just follow that path. Next question comes from Jacob G on Hawthorne who asks, after an abrupt retirement, LaMarcus Aldridge is rumored to be exploring a return to the NBA. If available, would you rather the Blazers sign LaMarcus Aldridge or Paul Millsap? Millsap is obviously the objectively correct answer, but imagine the narrative arc if Aldridge returned. Yeah, I I, I don't know that at this age, Paul Millsap is like way better than LaMarcus Aldridge. I think he's better. Like, I think it's fair to say he's he's probably better. Uh, 
he's just like a better role player, right? Like he's a little bit better passer. Um, he can play four and five. I think LaMarcus is like exclusively a five at this point in his sort of mobility uh, over the last year. But LaMarcus shoots threes better. He's better on offense. Um, he was a better defender at some point in his career, although I'm not sure that, that is still the case. Uh, Millsap just like more more varied skill set, which I think makes him like a more appealing role player. But I'm not, I'm, I don't think it's like clear cut that Millsap is like way better than LaMarcus. Like I don't, I I think it, I do believe that, that Millsap is better, but like, I think you could make a, a compelling case that like uh, offense is valuable and LaMarcus is a little better on offense like that. So uh, I will, I would lean Millsap, but um, Aldridge would be like objectively fun. I, 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 I think that's undeniable. So why not? Why not LA returns? Next question comes from Ryan who asks, I've been wondering how you feel about a possible sign and trade for Lowry Markinen. I think he had size we need. He's also mobile, so he could swing down to the four in a pinch. Plus the shooting, having a stretch five would keep teams from scheming us out of our offense by trapping Dame. Maybe Derek Jones Jr. and a protected first could snag him. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a Lowry Markinen guy. I think he's bad. Uh, I don't think he could play four. I don't think he rebounds well enough to play a five. Um, I'm not a believer in the shooting. He just, to me, he's, um, he, to me, he's just not very good. And if you, if you trade Derek Jones Jr. for him, you're talking paying him, you know, it would be about $10 million a year. I wouldn't want to pay Lowry Markin $10 million a year for several seasons, uh, particularly, and, and adding a first round pick. That's, uh, that ain't for me. I, I think other people might disagree, but not, not my choice, Ryan. Next question comes from Jake, who also proposes a trade. We've, we've entered the uh, fake trade section of the program. Jake says, Blazers get Larry Nance Jr. And the Cleveland Cavaliers receive Nazir Little, Derek Jones Jr. And a future second round pick. Jake's case is the following. This fills out the short-staffed front court. Nance has been hitting his outside shots for the last two years. He's athletic, as we know. His size helps on D. We get rid of Derek Jones Jr., who's, let's be honest, isn't filling any gaps on this roster. It hurts to let Nas go as he could be special, but he isn't yet to make the roster better tomorrow and match up with our main guys timelines. I really think this helps. I get I get excited thinking about playing Nurk, Nance, and Cove all at the same time with any two of our three guards. Seems defensive-minded enough, big and athletic. We could cover up those holes that Dame can't help but create. What do you think? I really like Larry Nance Jr. I think he's really good. Um, I think he's an underrated passer. I think two years ago, he was pretty clearly the Cleveland Cavaliers' best player. Um, he's been their best defender. He's good. Um, I like this trade. I do think um, giving up Nazir Little for Larry Nance Jr. is is maybe a little dicey. I think other people are screaming, hell no, hell no, they're playing the Bishop Bullwinkle drop like in their own homes right now. But um, I like this idea. Like I, I like, I like it. <laughs> I think it's maybe a little rich for Larry Nance, but he's good. I think he's good and he helps. Um, and I think you get the best player in this trade. Um, not wanting to give up Nazir Little for Larry Nance Jr. is a is fair, but I think I would do it. Um, although I'm a little bit hesitant. Next question comes from Hotai Kim at Hotai underscore Kim 97 on Twitter, who asks, why can't CJ McCollum or Norman Powell come off the bench and have that Ginobili esque role and maybe start Nazir Little at the three or a bigger three? Yeah. I mean, I think there's something to this, like in a, on a perfectly constructed roster, Norm or CJ would come off the bench and you'd have that firepower. Like Norm specifically, I think would come off the bench and you'd have a little bit of that firepower. Maybe, maybe you think CJ, whatever it is, one of them would come off the bench. Um, 
But I don't think the Blazers have that small forward that's like quite good enough to make this case. Like the the Dame, CJ, Norm, Rocco, Nurk lineup was really good last year. And I think there's... I think it's reasonable to just think like, you know, lean into what your strength is. And I think that's the Blazers strength. And the and because the Blazers don't clearly have a three in Nas or Derek Jones Jr. or or Tony Snell, um, that's like an obvious upgrade at that spot, particularly just like not a defensive stopper at that spot. I don't I, I have troubles. I have trouble making that case. Uh, I think on a better roster, a smarter roster or a roster that had, um, you know, a roster that just makes more sense, you would absolutely do this. But as currently constructed, I don't think it's a necessity by any means. All right, let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with more of your questions on this glorious Mailbag Monday. But first, let me tell you about Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball season, still going strong. WNBA starts up next week. You can also bet on off-season stuff. The futures bets on the NHL, futures bets on, on the NBA. There's also UFC and MMA action. If, if you are looking to get in on sports betting, this is the place to get all your latest news, odds, and info. All your sports betting needs are going to be met on BetOnline. So head on over to that website, betonline.ag. And when you're making your first deposit, put in the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Locked on Blazers. And we're still rolling through Mailbag Monday. Our next question comes from Stephen Estill at SSTill427 on Twitter who asks, Would Dame making a more threatening demand cause Neil to be a lot more aggressive? Or would Neil still stay the same course? You know, I don't, I don't think... We don't know what goes on behind closed doors. There's a chance that Damon Lord made a very, very clear statement to management and that Neil's just stuck because nobody wants his what he's selling. Nobody's buying what he's selling. Nobody wants CJ McCollum to give back enough value to make the trade worth it. Like, you'd just be making the team worse and you might as well wait to tear it down to figure out what you can get for, for CJ at another point. And, and, and if you trade Nurk, you still need back a starting center and they haven't quite, you know, been able to thread that needle. Like, I, I think some of the issues with, like, Neil's inaction is that he just doesn't have very appealing parts. Now, that's his own fault. <laughs> Let's be clear. Who built the roster that doesn't have a lot of assets? That's you, dog. You're the one wearing the banana suit. But but uh, I don't think Dame, especially like more publicly, would make, would make Neil be more aggressive. Um, I, I kind of think he's stuck, and I think his inaction in previous seasons led him to a space where other teams just aren't willing to deal with... with uh, with what the Blazers are offering right now, because think about you're another team and they're saying like, you want CJ McCollum? And you're like, why don't I just wait six weeks and or six months and Damian Lillard's going to be available? Like, why wait? Why, you know, why do it now when we can just wait? I think, um, everybody knows <laughs> uh, the situation. They can just look, they can look at what's happening with the Blazers and, and know they don't have to deal right now. Like they can use Dame's urgency against Portland. And I don't think Dame making a more public or a more threatening demand is what's holding Neil back. I think it's what he's got to work with that's holding him back. Next question comes from Dave at ATQ Dave on Twitter who asks, of Tony Snell or Derek Jones Jr., who is more likely to be in the rotation? Is Snell's shooting or Jones' athleticism more valuable? And is there any way they are on the floor together for any period of time in a non-disaster scenario? 
I love the non-disaster scenario. Yeah, it does kind of seem like the Blazers are setting themselves up to have like big, long, non-center lineups potentially available to them where they could do something like, um, you know, Dame, Derek Jones, Nas, Tony Snell, Rocco. You know, where it's just like a bunch of like, like-sized like guys um, and around Dame. The If you look at sort of like, could Chauncey Billups do what the Clippers did last year, some of the best Clippers lineups were just five wings, right? Like, obviously, Tony Snell and Derek Jones Jr. are not exactly uh, Paul George and Nick Batum interchangeably by any means. Neither of those fellows are Marcus Morris either. Um, just, you know, you're just dealing with, like, lower quality. But if you think of, like, style, the, the Clippers excelled by playing, like, a five guys who are about 6'8", six, six, you know, 6'6 six, six to 6'8", six, and kind of just, you know, switched a bunch of stuff and tried to use that like-sized um, and, and interchangeability to their advantage, particularly on defense. And, and, and on offense, like, you can run five out and do do a bunch of different stuff. Um my I lean that Tony Snell is like a slightly more likely than Derek Jones Jr. Just because I think Derek Jones is like such a limited shooter offensively that uh, he's it's always going to be a tough fit when you're dealing with like Damian Lillard, who's not a great interior passer, CJ McCollum, who's um, has come a long way as a playmaker, but not like an elite interior passer by any means. Uh, Dame is much better at throwing lobs from 35 feet than he is from seven feet. Um, it's just it's just a fact. Um, I've watched him a lot. I'm I'm really aware of this. So I think I think Tony Snell slightly more likely, but I would like to see Derek Jones Jr. employed where he guards point guards. Like I think that's that's his best skill. You put him on the ball guarding point guards where his lack of strength doesn't matter as much and he can use his length. And then the Blazers sort of um, collection of wings can fill in behind him with what he needs. Like I, I think that's the move. But I, if I had to guess here, I would lean Tony Snell more likely to be in the rotation. But I, I think it's a toss up. I think I think each night you are choosing based on matchup between Snell and, and Derek Jones. Next question comes from Clay Hardy at underscore Clay Hardy on Twitter, who asks, "Wouldn't Rondé Hollis Jefferson be a good minimum deal signing? Defense energy needs sort of a point, sort of a power forward." Yeah. Um, if the Blazers strike out and they don't use their taxpayer mid level exception, as we discussed at the top of the show. Uh, Ronnie Hall Jefferson is a totally competent minimum signing type of guy. He can play four, he can play five, he can guard, you know, probably four different spots, not traditional centers, but every other spot on the court. Um, he plays hard. He's a real, real, real struggle on, on offense, but like he, he, he does some stuff that a end of the bench, 14th, 15 man type, 14th, 15 man type guys valuable on a minimum deal. So yeah, I'm, I'm with it. I kind of think that's like a, that's like a, a sign that things went went wrong for the Blazers. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I think at the minimum, Ronda Hill Jefferson is totally fine. Next question comes from Jesse, who asks, "What was the situa- situation like around Carmelo Anthony leaving the team? Were the Blazers the ones to ask him to leave? Did Damon Chauncey play any role in it either way, or was it simply mutual with Melo wanting a ring to and to play with LeBron and the Blazers wanting younger, more defensive wings?" What do you think of his new older team and what, and was it the right move? Yeah. Um, I think the Blazers made it clear that they wanted to upgrade defensively on that, that spot. Uh, Mello was good on offense, but he didn't provide much else. And when you, when you're building around Damian Lord, you need defenders around him. And I think the Blazers like failed that test last year, adding Mello and Ennis Cantor. Like that just doesn't, that isn't, that doesn't answer the question. How do you build a good team around Damian Lord, who has been, who was a real negative on defense last year? I, I like we should be clear about that. His his defensive shortcomings demand defensive 
ability from the rest of his teammates uh, and adding Carmelo Anthony like doesn't answer that question. So I assume it was mutual. You know, Melo was like, I'll come back if the situation is right. The Blazers were like, the situation's not right. Get out of here. And then Melo went to the place he was always rumored to go was to play with LeBron and, and the Los Angeles Lakers. I joked on this podcast several times that he would end his career as a Laker, um, knowing that it was kind of like in the zeitgeist and like rumored, but also like a real, you know, uh, just like a funny thing. Of course, he's going to go be a Laker. That's how this works. Um, I think the Lakers are going to be pretty good. Uh, they're obviously super old, and they've they've really probably taken a, a step back defensively, but they're going to be really good again. Um, I'm not sure Carmelo is going to be a big part of them being really good again, but I if, if AD and LeBron play something like 75% of the regular season games, the Lakers are going to be really, really good. Uh, Jesse also asked my favorite Melo moment. Um, you know, his game winner in Toronto was really special sort of the like the like minor moments I really like from Mello like he just he was a really like he was just a good interview he was really um you know he he looked he made eye contact answered listened and answered your questions um he would walk through the locker room playing Marvin Gaye on his phone like he was just cool as hell and I liked the like my favorite Mello moment is just like being around a dude who was who was like an NBA legend legitimately cool. Like, like, uh, it wasn't a one thing. It was just the sort of whole mellow experience. I was a fan of, I didn't realize I would be like, I, I didn't necessarily think that would be the case, but it absolutely was. Next question comes from Sam who asks, if you could choose between a fully healthy 2019 roster and a fully healthy 2021 roster, which do you pick? Uh, I'm going to assume that that was last season. Cause we don't have like a, we don't know what the Blazers, uh, roster's going to look like this season. They just haven't filled it out yet. Uh, and I would definitely choose 2019 over this one. I think I'm choosing 2019 over 2021. You know, fully healthy, you get, you still have that Nurk, Zach, Cantor, like on either way. Um, but I kind of like the versatility defensively of Alfruk Aminu and Mo Harkless and Evan Turner, plus that offensive punch of Seth Curry. Like I think Seth, Seth Curry gives you something like 80% of what Norman Powell gives you. Um, just not a lot of downhill presence, but like a, a ton of offense and ability to go get his own shot. Uh, I, I think the, I think the versatility and the depth there is more valuable. Um, you know, that team still had Anthony Simons and, and Jake Lehman, neither of which were particularly good in 2019. Lehman was fine, but Simons was like not an NBA player yet. Uh, neither was Gary Trent Jr. But I, I kind of think that's a better group uh, than than last year's last year's roster, which just like didn't didn't quite make sense and never never really had that um that length on the wing that the Blazers needed. Uh, they just haven't had size that, that size and length on the wing. I think I, I like better with, with ET and with Alfred Kuminu and with, um, and with Mo Harkless. I think I value that better. Although neither of them are, all of those are very imperfect players. I think the ability to, to do all of to play all of those options when you still have Nurk fully healthy, you still have Zach fully healthy and still Venice Cantor fully healthy. Like I think, I think 2019 is my choice. I kind of think that was the best Blazers roster. Um, uh, you know, some of it is just bias because they made the Western Conference finals, but I kind of think that the depth and the versatility and the options that that, that, that group had was the best Blazers roster that they've, that they've had. Um, I'm sure Neil O'Shea will say whatever version of this team is the best roster they've ever had. I look forward to that. And we can, uh, we can revisit that conversation after Neil inevitably says that here in a couple months. Next question comes from Alex at AALax1 on Twitter, who asks, where do you recommend vacationing along the Oregon coast? Uh, 
I'll, I'll rank four, four cities in order of geographic uh, location, north to south. Astoria, Yahats, Florence, Gold Beach. Uh, if you had to pick one, probably Yahats. Astoria, incredible day trip. Florence, not even technically on the coast, but a, a fun little town and, and uh, where I, I have enjoyed it as a mid-coast destination. Gold Beach, uh, my favorite spot on the southern Oregon coast. So yeah, Astoria, Yahats, Florence, Gold Beach. Those are my day, vacation recommendations for Oregon. And the final question of the show comes from Davey underscore Fleming at Davey Fleming 8 on Twitter who asks, as someone in the journalism industry, what are your thoughts on putting content behind a paywall? I'm conflicted. Getting free content is always great, but I want to make sure the people left in your crazy industry are fairly paid and compensated. So uh, to be clear, I don't really work in sports anymore. Uh, I do do this podcast. I do get paid to do this podcast, but it's not my full-time job. Uh, I have a survival job outside of this. This is not in sports. Um, I worked in the sports industry for a long time and I was laid off. I worked for about, you know, almost a decade and was laid off in 2018 uh, and kind of have worked in and out of it as a part-time role for the last uh, three years since then. It is indeed a crazy industry. And my thoughts on putting content behind a paywall are just that there are certain things that are absolutely worth paying for. Reading Jason Quick writing about the Portland Trailblazers is worth the money. It is worth what you pay each month for it because he does a he does a better job than anyone else. So I think what organizations need to 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 sort of balance is putting quality stuff, making sure they they're providing quality content. Um, I know that there are some. Uh, particularly local papers, they're kind of just struggling to make money and that they've pivoted to putting everything behind a paywall. And while I think there's, I respect that and I really, really, really do think you should pay to read news uh, because reporters need the money and it's just, it's essential part of our daily lives to read, to read local reporting. If you haven't built up the equity with your readers that the stuff you're going to put behind the paywall is quality, they're not going to pay for it. Uh, so I think if you haven't developed that relationship and developed that trust, putting stuff behind a paywall doesn't really make sense. In general, you should pay for news. And I'm, I really, really strongly believe that you should pay people to do good journalism because, uh, it keeps those in power in check, like outside of sports journalism, it's like, like actual hard news reporting is much more valuable and, um, reporting on sports is interesting and fun, but it's, it is not, it is not deeply valuable, although I deeply value it if you understand what I'm saying. Um, so I, I don't think, I think there are some times when I'm like, really, this is behind a paywall. Wow. And I wish I could pay in a lot of situations, like when I'm reading the Louisville Courier for one story, like a dollar to read the story and not $9 for the month to read the one news story I'm interested in. But um, in general, if you are interested and want to stay informed, I think you should pay for news. And I think you should pick, you know, the, t- the local newspaper and the national newspaper. Maybe that's a good balance of what you, what, what, you you think is valuable what you think is truly worth it but i will freely admit that some media companies do not do a good job of making you see the value that is that is on the company and the journalists themselves to make you see it uh but in general if you think one journalist at a local paper does a good enough job that you should pay for it you should do it and just trust in their colleagues to provide that same level of coverage that is going to do it for this edition of mailbag monday we do this every week, record on Monday nights, post it on Tuesday. So if you want to get involved, tweet at me at Mike G. Rich or email the show lockedonblazerspod at gmail.com. We're back to a full schedule this week. So look for shows the rest of the week, five days a week back in action here at Locked on Blazers. So tell your friends about this podcast. We're still going strong. It'd be a great time to hop on board during an exciting off season. 
Tell them they can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked on Blazers. It'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.